I don't know. All right, we thumbs up? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for another awesome day today. I pray that you be our teacher. Holy Spirit, be the revealer of truth. Be the one who also communicates well. Teach me this morning as I walk through these scriptures and and get excited about the things you've shown me already. Um, Father, I pray we all may grow one step closer, not to you, because you can't get any closer, but one step closer in an understanding of the awareness of your presence in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have been crucified with Christ. I started this uh, on Easter, and uh, one message turned into three. (laughs) And so, I'm sorry, but it was just so, so good. At least I think it is, and if you don't like it, oh well. Uh, I can't help you there. Um, But uh, I'll get back to something different next week. But this has been a wild, wild topic, because what happened at the cross? What's the big deal about Easter? And that's what I was trying to make a point of. And so far, we've covered this. The foundation, Christ is in all and all things. This, you got to go back and listen to it. If, you, if this is confusing, uh, go back and watch. Uh, you're going to be blown away by the scriptures that make this abundantly clear. Okay, Only read what it says, not what it doesn't say. Big difference. Um, another fact of Easter, this is the second message. When he died, we died. Many believers do not know what happened to them when Jesus died. Some have been led to believe it only happened when they said the prayer, then all this stuff happened. No, it doesn't work like that. God's grace is far bigger than that, far wider than that. So when he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. When he ascended, we ascended. And I have one more text to cover that part from last week or two weeks ago that I wasn't able to finish because it started to get long. And this is from Romans chapter 6. We're going to read it from the New American Standard Bible. I'm giving you a ton of scripture because this is where you're going to find the place to point to and say, ha, that's where it says this. Okay? I want you to hear this in two translations. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, by the way, that I should have used this text for the next um, part coming today, but we're gonna, I'm, I'm giving it to you now because I'm going to be dealing with being baptized. All of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death, affirming that when he died, we died. This is, this is a God thing. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. When he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. When he ascended, we ascended. I, I, I'm, I'm not satisfied with the pablum of traditional church teaching. Like, uh, growing up in a a certain church, uh, we heard the same stuff all the time. You just did the routine of church, and yep, another story, yep. They did that illustration last year. Yep, okay, saw that one before. And it it becomes non-meaningful, as in, where's the depth? Where do you go deeper? And that's where my heart's at, for us to go deeper. We've been called to grow up. I want to experience this newness. I want to walk in newness 
of life. But if you don't even know what happened to you, you're not going to have an awareness of a very foundational truth about who you really are in Christ. This is like baby step level stuff. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, which you already have, not if, the word if is about since you have, become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. You are no longer a slave to sin, but you can enslave yourself to it. You can give in and make it, here, I'm going to submit to that. But you're not. That's just in your mind. You have been set free. Many believers don't know that. Let's read this from another translation, the Passion Translation. Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed, baptized, into union with Christ, by the way, that word union is probably one of the best kept secrets in the Western church. Union, oneness with Christ is not emphasized enough, guaranteed. Our union with Jesus, the anointed one, we're immersed into union with his death. Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we are also co-buried and entombed with him so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been, have been, past tense, co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. Who wants to grow and walk in the freshness of new life? I do. And there are many people hungry to do this as well. But I think one of the things that's hindering them from walking in this fresh awakening is called revelation. Nobody's given them the information. The Holy Spirit's not transferred it to revelation. We can teach as much information as we want. With the internet, you can learn everything you need. You can get it all here, no problem. But it's the Holy Spirit who turns into the, oh my goodness, that's real. Oh, the aha, that's, that's the role of the Holy Spirit, is the aha. I love aha. For since we are permanently grafted into him, To experience a death like this, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? (laughs) For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. And where was that stronghold? Does anybody know? In the mind. In your mind. It started in the garden. When Adam and Eve tried to make themselves more like God. They weren't trying to shake their fist at God. That's what I always grew up believing. Oh, they were so mad. They turned their backs and, you know, God, you, they're all mad at God. And that's why they did that. They did not. Their desire was to be more like him. And it backfired. They were already like him and didn't know it. Absolutely. This, This is a powerful thing. And it was in their minds that they felt God was angry with them. So when God came walking the next day, just like any other day, 
he said, oh, where are you? And they were kind of hiding, like little kids. And they covered themselves. And they said, we're hiding because we're naked. Who told you you're naked? Something happened, crap. You know? So this is a journey of fixing the mind of humanity. And he pulled them out of the garden on purpose, not as a punishment, but to keep them from living in permanent darkness for the rest of their lives. It was an act of grace, not punishment. So they could no longer eat from the tree of life, which I think was physically keeping them alive forever. It was like, it's one of those weird, cool fruits that I would love to find. But anyway, it's another thing. Colossians 3.3. 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That, that's pretty cool. The old you is dead. The new you is one with Christ. For, this is from the Young's literal translation now. It reads this a little bit differently. For ye did die, and your life hath been hid with the Christ in God. It's a literal translation. And then in the Passion Translation it says, Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life, and now your true life is hidden away in God in Christ. Here we go. The crucifixion word, the Aramaic, could be translated, your death and your life are both hidden with Messiah in God. That's a powerful image. Things are getting clearer for me. It's a journey of... Now, now how many grew up with a black and white TV? Okay. It's giving away our age. But anyway, I remember we actually had to turn the tan- channel on the TV. Like, what was that? You know, in fact, the dial I had, you had to make sure it's right on the spot. It wasn't a click, click. It was a, and then zzz, one of those. And then some channels were black and white and nothing on it. And it was just terrible. The antenna and don't stand over there. Move over there. You know, remember all that? Okay, good. I love cable. All right. So black and white. We thought, Wow, there's, a, there's an image on the screen. Everybody is wowed. The world is mesmerized when the first images come onto a television. Wow, it can't get any better than this. Oh, yeah? Color came. And when color came, everyone went, Wow, color TV! Let's go over to the kids' house that have color TVs! You know, and play ColecoVision. Do you remember ColecoVision? And Atari? Yes! Oh. Okay, then we have analog to digital. Then we have uh, 540 to 720 DPI or whatever they call that. What's, what's, what's the right term for all that? Dots per inch. So this is, this is the resolution of your screen and, and, or of shows. I remember watching some movies where VHS, remember that? Yes, and it was kind of grainy sometimes. Man, it was a great movie. Like, oh, this is awesome. But then things got clearer and more and more detailed. Then we got 720. Then we got 3D. Oh my goodness, what can possibly be better than 3D? And, and now they have 3D televisions that you can make any show 3D. Just put the glasses on, set your setting, boom, and watch in 3D. It's pretty cool. And of course, then we have the 1080 to 4K. It can never get better than 4K. <laughs> I was being facetious. <laughs> The mentality of this, the reason I'm bringing this up is because this is like my journey of the revelation of God to me. Black and white, 
first revelation. And then it just keeps getting better and better. And by the way, I can't stand watching a movie in that quality. Okay, 720, okay. But I tell you, I'm hungry for the 1084K if I can't. I love brilliantly clear, crisp shows. I like it clear. Baseball. (laughs) I'm glued. Give me the good TV. Because I'm now used to really high quality. Same thing with studying my Bible. The more I dig in, I don't like that black and white stuff so much anymore. It's there. I got it. I'm not against it. I'm just saying, I got some 4K in my meal here. Like, this is, this is great content. And that's what's been going on for me. And I hope you're growing in your lens as well, that your lens is getting clearer and clearer to the revelation of who God is. This next clip. Um, oh, darn. You may have to click it. Don't do it yet. But I want to tell you what this clip is. This, is. this is like the lens change that's happening. This is from the movie National Treasure. It's not as clear. I wish it was because I couldn't get a super clear 1084K version. But anyway, the, the point of this is they found this old constitution, the original, and they found these old glasses. And as they look on the back of this apparently blank sheet, by putting on these glasses, suddenly they see a 3D and color image. In the second scene, there's two clips. It's one minute and 16 seconds, so bear with me. In the first clip, they just wowed by, oh my goodness, who, I can't believe this is amazing. The second clip, they actually change the glasses and suddenly the image changes. The lens changed. <gasps> Even more revelation. Let's see. You click, if you can just click on it and hopefully it'll play. If not, I'm good. Turn it over. <clears throat> Careful. Spectacles. <clears throat> What do you see? What is it? Is it a treasure map? It says here at the wall. Spelled with two E's. Take a look. Huh. Wow. Why can't they just say go to this place and here's the treasure? Just the glasses changed it. Was the image there the entire time? Okay. What if the truth of some of the stuff I've been sharing with you has been there the whole time? We just didn't know it. I'm much less quick to chastise people who don't see what I see or people see stuff that I can't see (laughs) in theology in grace. It's bigger than I thought. I, I just don't have the right lens. Example, healing. Okay, there's a big topic. Um, understanding what it is, how it works. It's much bigger than we think. It's not the Harry Potter one. Boom, you're healed. Isn't that cool? Woo, praise the Lord. That's not what it is. There's more going on there. And we have been led to believe it's something so simple. 
my expanding understanding is growing. I have so much further to go on that one because I just don't get it. I just don't get it. But I'm getting some of it, which gives me hope for much more down the road. That's just one rabbit trail of theology. This stuff is driving me crazy in a great way. It's like, I've expanded this much in the last three to four years in my deeper understanding of some of these texts that I've, I've, I've not read them as if I've never seen them before. In fact, I encourage you who are well-churched to the, read the texts that I'm sharing with you as if, or hear them as if you've never heard them before. Let them speak to you fresh because we've got all this churchy baggage, churchianity and, and all that stuff which has told us what to believe. We've never questioned it and we've never questioned the answers that have been given to us. It's time to question those. Let the Holy Spirit re-reveal through a fresh lens what some of these verses can mean. I'm not saying I got it all right. I don't have it all right. Because that means somebody else is really wrong. Okay, this is not about right and wrong. Wrong tree, remember? Tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. I'm not going to fight on that tree. I want to eat off the life tree and let him be my life and direct me to these words which will inspire my life to love people more and love God more. That's the goal. Not to have absolutely perfect cubbyhole theology. I think theology should be messier than it is. In the West, we have cute cubbyholes and chapters for every piece of theology. And it's all succinct, clear, and we have 44,000 different denominations that can't all be wrong. Do you get the point? It needs to be messier. There's, the mystery has been robbed from the West. There's far more mystery that can't be quite explained, but you know it's true. How does it work? I don't know. Let's dig in. Born again. The last point of Easter. We have been made new. Born again. And where? In Christ. We just read it in the text previously in Romans. Let's dig in some more. John 3.3 says, and this is Nicodemus, who's questioning Jesus. Hey, what, what, how can we possibly know who you are and know the way to the Father? Oh, however he asks it. And Jesus replies in the New Living Translation, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, or the words from above, okay, you cannot see the kingdom of God. New Living Translation. The Young's literal translation says, Jesus answered and said to them, Verily, verily, I say to thee, if anyone may not be born from above, he is not able to see the reign of God. I love that. Oh, I like that's better than that. It's really cool. And then the Passion Translation says, Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm, they must first experience a rebirth. I can just hear Jesus now say, okay, give me some time. I'll take care of that for you. And that's actually what being born again, I think, is. It's already happened at the cross. And when you believe it, you wake up to that reality. This is called repentance, a change of mind. I believe that's when you experience your salvation. It happens, can happen through a prayer, but the prayer is because you've been given a revelation. You're responding. We're created as responders, not initiators. God has initiated truth in you. He's waiting for you to respond, and I beg you to respond. Jesus' daddy is so much better than we've been led on to believe. He is just like his son. 
That's part of the point of Jesus coming to reveal the Father. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 18 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Down here is a clip from an interlinear Bible. Each bold and underlined word is the actual word in Scripture, in the, in the uh, original language. The other words are fillers. So, therefore, man in Christ, new creature, things away, behold, things become new. Okay? So be careful which words you want to fight over. Fight over the ones that actually show up in the real text. If you're going to get all... And down here, this is the stuff from, it just didn't copy properly, so whatever. You can look it up. I can send you a link. It's, it's available for everybody. But the idea is, this is all in Christ. This is, we've been made a new creature. You are a new creation in Christ, and it happened at the cross. When Jesus died, we died. We were placed into Christ at the cross. And when Jesus died, we died. We were baptismoed, baptized in Christ already. You don't have to get baptized, although it's a great demonstration of faith that you've been called to do as believers. It's, it's like the wedding ring of Christianity. It's like, this is, this, this is my symbol that I have been saved, and I recognize it. I've got the revelation of it. It's the declaration of it. Be baptized. By the way, picnic's coming up. If you want to get baptized and you haven't been, let me know. We'll dunk you. And if you really repent, then I'll let you up. Anyway. Old and new, you've been made a new creature. Butterfly illustration is great. This is from Paul Anderson Walsh. He spoke about this last Sunday. He's talked about being made new and being a caterpillar versus a butterfly. They're not the same thing. They're, they're totally different things now. One has been made something, one's old, one's new. You are no longer a caterpillar. Do you know that? You are the butterfly. That is who you are. I love these next lines that he gave because I had to, these are copied right from him because I just thought I can't say it any better. The caterpillar theology versus butterfly theology. You are now stuck in your butterfly-ness. <laughs> okay? I'm trying to get the image, because we've got this churchy image all the time. Have you been crucified with Christ? That's great. But if you hear it too many times, it's hard to get new meaning to it. This is saying the same thing. You're now stuck in your butterfly-ness. You are a never-again caterpillar. <laughs> What a term. This guy's wordy. I love it. But you're a never-again caterpillar. It might be that we are butterflies with a caterpillar mindset. You don't know you're a butterfly. And you act like a caterpillar. Some might do some caterpillar stuff, but you are no longer regarded after your caterpillarness. <laughs> These aren't in the dictionary. Don't worry. <laughs> But we don't see each other after the flesh anymore. That's what Paul tells us to do. We no longer see each other after the flesh. We don't see Jesus as a, just a mere man. We see him as Savior, Lord, risen Lord. And you as well. We see each other as a new creation. We, we don't see each other as uh, all the bad habits we have. We have to get our eyes off of those behaviors and look much deeper to the light that is in everyone. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the last two messages. Man, home run. 
Two different perspectives. The caterpillar cannot see the perspective of a butterfly. It's only a, a linear perspective. But a butterfly can see from top down and see much wider. It's a different perspective. They eat different foods. Your taste buds change. I love that part. That's why, that's why I ported his stuff into it this morning. Um, but we, we eat different food. Um, the, the, uh, the caterpillar eats a certain kind of food. The, the butterfly is something totally different. And as, as one who did not believe, you ate from certain foods. But as a, as a believer who has a growing revelation, you have a much greater hunger for things that are deeper. 4K. Okay? Do you understand what I'm talking about? 1 Peter 1.3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Passion translation. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy, for his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have been born again. This is good news. For anybody that recognizes that they are born again, this is the place we start a relationship from. Not trying to get into a relationship, but we start from there. We are already in Christ. So with that, quit groveling. Get to know your Heavenly Father. Come to Him with confidence, but you need to, have, you need to believe this stuff first. Where's your confidence coming from? Ephesians 2.5 That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. He did it to you. Will you believe it? Passion Translation Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. (laughs) That's kind of scary because that could imply a whole bunch of stuff. But if you have a singular, narrow understanding of the word salvation, that could confuse you. I think there's multiple understandings and multiple tiers of it, so to speak, if you can go with me on this. This salvation, he has already saved the world. Done deal. But each person must still believe and enter into the experience of salvation. We can call that being born again, but that's already happened. Um, or or what, does, what does saved mean? In a couple of weeks, I hope to touch on this one much more because we need to see the theological difference between this. It's not just the one-time transaction. It's not transactional. Jesus did it while we were still dead and in our sin. Am I making this up or is it right there in front of you? It's right there. Look it up. Like, you cannot argue with this. Which gives me more hope. It doesn't make me get pushy on people, but it makes me realize God's already put light in everyone. It shines through. If the light that is in them is darkness to them, that's their perception, their subjective reality, it's darkness, then how great is that darkness? But it says the light is in them. 
Speak to the light in people. Call out to the light. And let them wake up from the inside out. Ephesians 2.5 from the Mirror Bible. This is same little verse. Remember, I did say that the Mirror Bible is like the Amplified Bible on Red Bull. All right? That's, that's kind of what it's like. This is how grace rescued us. Sin left us dead towards God like spiritual corpses. Yet in that state of deadness and indifference, God co-quickened us together with Christ. Sin proved how dead we were. Law confirmed it. Grace reveals how alive we now are. The gospel announces it. And before anyone but God believed it, he made us alive together with him and raised us up together with him. I love this little uh, sub-note. This is not the scripture. This is his thoughts. We have no contribution to our salvation. God's master plan unfolded in the mystery of the gospel, declaring our joint inclusion in Christ's death and resurrection. God found us in Christ before he lost us in Adam. In the economy of God, when Jesus died, we died. God saw us in Christ, in his death and resurrection, before we saw ourselves there. He declared our co-resurrection with Christ. 800 BC, Hosea 6. John 14. I love this. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. This is from the New Living Translation. Who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. As in, that's, by the way, this is the darkness. While the Holy Spirit has been given, they don't perceive it. They can't see it. They can't have an, they don't even have an awareness of it. Therefore, it's darkness to them. Why do you think Jesus came to heal the sick? Yes. Find that was lost so they can be found and make the blind be able to see. There's a lot of repetition in the Gospels about that. And there's a reason for it. Remember, something, in order for it to be lost, it has to have an owner. Let that sink in. It cannot be lost if there is no ownership. <laughs> I'll let you think about that. The world cannot receive him because it doesn't, isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Remember, he's talking in John. He's speaking of uh, when uh, the Holy Spirit comes on them. It's pretty cool. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father. And you are in me. And I am in you. This is before the cross. And these doeheads couldn't remember any of it. But the Holy Spirit reminded them afterwards. They didn't have the capacity to remember all this. But the Holy Spirit reminded them of the things he did say. And they go, oh, yeah. Like, this is really rich stuff. I like this from uh, the Passion Translation. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Savior. I want to stop there and look at these two words. The word another, give you another. The, the notes in this are this. The Greek word alos means another of the same kind. 
As Jesus is Savior from the guilt of sin, the Holy Spirit is the Savior who saves us from the power of sin by living through us in fullness. That's cool. And then this one here, this word Savior, the Greek word here is parakaletos, a technical word that could be translated defense attorney. (laughs) It means one called to stand next to you as a helper. Various translations have rendered this counselor, comforter, advocate, encourager, intercessor, or helper. However, none of these words alone are adequate and fall short in explaining the full meaning. The translator has chosen the word Savior for it depicts the role of the Holy Spirit to protect, defend, and save us from ourself and our enemies and keep us whole and healed. He is the one who guides and defends, comforts, and consoles. Keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, our Savior. The Aramaic word is parakelet, you can't read it anyway, which is taken from two root words, prak, to end, finish, or to save, and uh, lita, which means the curse. What a beautiful word picture. The Holy Spirit comes to end the work of the curse of sin in our lives and to save us from every effect. (laughs) Paracollect means a redeemer who ends the curse. Did you move from 720 to 1080? (laughs) This is big. The bigness of his grace. Somebody has accused me in the past of going too far with grace. I'm sorry, that's technically impossible. It really is. It really is. Because if God's love is far bigger and higher and wider and deeper than we can possibly understand, because we sing that song all the time, (laughs) how wide, how far, Uh, really? Or do you have boundaries on that too? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. John 14, 4 to 6. No, we're going to skip that. John 10, 10. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This is Jesus. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Can you say with certainty you are experiencing a rich and satisfying life? I have elements, not all the time. There are times where it's exactly the opposite. Depends on the circumstance and which road I'm on. Or which roundabout I'm in. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Are we experiencing abundant life? Message translation. I came so they can have real and eternal life. More and better life than they ever dreamed of. Are you satisfied? Do you want more? If you do, that's the Holy Spirit triggering the hunger in you. If you don't, that's fine. There's something else he's working on. You're fine. I love this passion translation. But I have come to give you everything in abundance. More than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. Wow. Where's where's another place in the Old Covenant we hear about the overflow? Psalm 23. My cup overflows. (laughs) Powerful image. And from the Mirror Bible. I have come with the sole purpose for you to have life in its most complete form. And I think that's what this journey of grace is, this journey of maturing, so that we can learn to live more and more full. And part of that, I think, is deconstructing our little rules of how we relate to one another. 
And the only way to change that is to change how you relate to the Heavenly Father. Because when the Heavenly Father's perspective, or your perspective of the Heavenly Father changes, and the Holy Spirit, and, the, and Jesus, and the whole Trinity, that will spill into your life and will affect every single category of who you are. And it takes time. It's not fast. Sometimes it's instant. Do you know what I mean? It's not fast, but it could be instant. You'll have an instant revelation which will bring you even more, a greater expanse and a capacity to love others. Even people you couldn't have stood before. Like, ugh. And now it's like, huh, there's light in that person too. And I've been looking at the other stuff. Oh, man, what kind of fool am I? Like, honestly, I'm humbled by the expanding grace of God and the love of God. He came to give you an abundant life and he succeeded. You lack nothing. So to say, I'm not experiencing it, you may not be experiencing it because you're not believing you already possess it. (laughs) Let that sink in. Let that hit your heart. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. May the Holy Spirit bring you joy and revelation of who he is and what he came to do because Jesus came to reveal the Father. Throughout the entire Old Testament, we have an incomplete and sometimes extremely wrong picture of who God the Father is. And Jesus finally settles it. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one. He's just like me. Yeah, but you're pretty good. Exactly. That means God the Father is good. He's not a schizophrenic God who's opposite of of Jesus. He's not good cop, bad cop. And when we start to see only his goodness all through, a couple things will happen. The scriptures will either turn on their head and go, huh? I have to rethink that text because I can only see a pretty ticked off God there. And that's okay. Let that wrestling happen. I've got, I don't have all the answers in that one yet. I, I've put them on the back burner, but I'm dealing with some other facts that I am excited about. I'm not ignoring other texts, because I can hear some people think in their heads, yeah, well, what about that text and this one? That's fine. That's not the ones I'm addressing right now. I'm addressing the ones that I see as really clear, because I want to begin, and I love what, this was triggered by Paul Anderson Walsh, He said, I begin my interpretation of Scripture from a place that I cannot change. Or I have an extreme bias. And I'm going to steal that from him because I love it. And I have an extreme bias in how I read these Scriptures. Everybody has a bias, people. Every translation has a bias. Don't kid yourself. But my bias begins with this. And this has probably been the biggest transformation in my head the last four years. Listen to it. This is, this is the fact I cannot... This, this is my foundation. This is the root. This is my platform. God is love. Now I read. Got it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for expanding my incomplete and narrow understanding of who you are. 
Jesus, thank you for coming and revealing the Father. Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking inside my heart and my head, in my body and outside my body, to my mind, to retrain, to rethink, to repent of my faulty concepts of who you all are and who I am in you. I pray you give this revelation to every single person here. And may we overflow with joy and become conduits of overflowing fruit of the Spirit, loving others. Not just taking it in week after week, but letting it flow out to the people around us wherever we live and our work or whatever, whatever we do. This has to go farther than just these walls. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.